Hello, I'm Ben Keane, your host, and you're listening to a Virgin Startup podcast produced with support from our friends at Virgin Money. This podcast is a recording of a meetup which took place in March 2021, right in the middle of the pandemic. If you're thinking of calling time on the day job and going all in on your startup, then you've tuned in to the right podcast. I was joined by three sets of founders from early stage startups to help answer the burning questions of when the right time is to take the jump and exactly how to go about it. This episode is packed with useful insights to help you make the right choice and ensure your next move is the right one for you. Sit down, grab a drink and let's dive straight in. Remember that all our meetups are available as podcasts. Please subscribe, review and rate to help others discover them. Ed, Andy, Daisy and Steph to join us on the Virgin Startup stage here tonight. Uh, it's got a lot of steps to get up here, a bit like the pyramid stage at Glastonbury. Uh, there's a big backstage area. They're out the back, you know, quaffing macaroons and uh, Ed's up first. Here he is. Ed, have you changed since five minutes ago? <laughs> I did. It was quite cold. So <laughs> I, stuck a I like on. that. He's got, he's, Ed's got an on-stage jumper, <laughs> the virtual meetup uh, stylist. Okay. Daisy and Steph's here. Um, and I think Andy's going to be joining us. Well, yeah, that's it. Give everyone a wave. Now we've got we've got 500 uh, people in the building here tonight, Yay. which is fantastic. So thank you for being with us and really excited to have Ed, Daisy, Steph. And I think Andy's going to join us as well. Is he always like this, Ed? So he just comes at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. You're a duo, so you're here. That's all that matters. I shouldn't join um, under a bus. <laughs> so, so Virgin Startup... Uh, people who are who are watching and listening in tonight we are going to get to know our new friends here and find out about their journeys the reality not the theories the reality of what they've been through over the last period of their life um from idea through to what they looks like today and navigating the pandemic and all the ups and downs in between if you do have questions or um ideas even as we go just drop them in the chat Keep sharing those links like you're doing doing as we go, um, and that all gets captured, and you can carry on the conversation. So, to start with, we'll go back. Well, let's go back to that moment for the three of you where uh, this this idea started to develop. Um, and I know that this uh, this whole thing of like the thunderbolt an idea isn't always true. It's, it's sometimes a slow hunch, right? But where was it? Where was the moment? Can you take us back to the moment where you were like, "Oh, there's something here. There's a clear problem, or there's a clear opportunity that I want to explore." Um, and what did you do about it in that moment? So take us back there, Steph. Do you want to do you want to kick us off? Yeah, sure. I mean, for me, my journey was a very organic accidental approach um i was in a career um i was definitely destined along one path i don't know if you can hear the ice cream van that's just yeah i don't that's ice cream van out in the pandemic that's amazing (laughs) should i go get one no i'll leave it um but i definitely was on one path and i started um just fyi i own a an e-commerce driven bakery um, I started baking in my spare time as a hobby. My my business started as a way um, to relieve stress at the end of my working day. Um, okay. And it just grew from there uh, really naturally. There was no thunderbolt moment. You're absolutely right. It was more of a, a gradual, oh, I'm realizing I'm really enjoying this. And I, I feel like there's maybe a way I could monetize this or turn this into a full-time career. And it was a natural progression for me. And just to dig into that a little bit more, Steph, so what were you doing that was that you were like working all hours on? And then how did you find that 
because it, it sounds like you were you know there was a you were stressed life was busy how did you find that energy to start exploring this this bakery business which was very different to your day job right right absolutely so i'd actually just been offered a promotion in my um job at the time which was in project management so i'd been elevated to project director and with that came an abundance of extra responsibilities um it's in my nature to always want to prove myself so i was working the long hours already um i was coming home at you know 8 9 p.m i was having a bite to eat and then i was getting stuck into my my baking and um you know trying out different techniques and as I, I grew an Instagram following, that's where it all really started for me on Instagram. Um, I started to receive requests from, from people all over London. Started with friends, but it quickly grew to people I didn't even know. There were literally days I was opening up Instagram like, I don't know you and you're asking me for cookies? What? This is amazing. And you want to pay me money? Great. Um, but that's that quickly, I found myself getting home at 9 p.m. and then working until... 2, 3, 4 a.m. No. Getting up again at 7 a.m. to go and prove myself in this job. I was so intent on kind of working towards a manager director position. I think that's where I was in my head at the time. And then really having to battle with this internal mindset of, is this what I want? Is there an opportunity for me to have like total creative direction and, and leadership and, and build something myself. And yet I've just spent so much time forging a career in a different direction. And that was a really hard uh, argument to have with myself, shall we say. You created this argument though, didn't you? Because like they're, they're like working for 14 hours then coming home and doing a nine till two. So what I want to know, cause it, 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 it sounds like, yeah, you went all in for a little while and not most people wouldn't have that level of energy. I, I don't think, but um when you were get, when you got home at nine pm and we you just starting to bake and then you were taking pictures and uploading them and it, was it was it pure escapism or were you thinking ah oh, this is something was it purely a hobby or was this something you going actually this is quite exciting I feel like I could build something from this I think I've always been someone who knew I wanted to um, forge my own path at some point in life um, I just didn't know what that was going to look like and having formulated a career in primarily fashion and then into digital design. Hmm. I was desperately trying to think of ways that I could mold that to work for me in my own kind of situation, create my own business. Uh, cookies was not where I saw it going, but yes, in a way it started literally just as a passion. I made it my life to just consume whatever I could find on baking and decorating cookies. I cannot pinpoint the moment where I thought, hey, well, actually, I guess I can. Um, it was when I got my first order inquiry where they they were upfront with their budget for custom, okay. a set of custom cookies. And I realized that there is money to be made here. And at the end of the day, when you're starting a business, you can't, you're doing it for, you know, you're, you can't ignore the money side of it. Um, that was the moment that I guess I gained the confidence that I could move forward and make this a career path, a viable yeah. career path, you know? Yeah, that's fantastic. And we'll come back to the Instagram marketing um, in a little while. Um, Daisy, let's let's move to to you and your stories. So what was the moment where you started to think, I'm going to I'm going to try and solve this problem. I'll give this a go. It was it was basically just one random idea that then snowballed into a whole new career for both me and my sister. So we um, run an online makers market. It was a real life makers market, but obviously we had to pivot because of lockdown and it, it's become online completely now. And it really, it was completely random. Like I think me and 
my sister Liv, we, we've both been, you know, we're so, so close. We're best friends. We've always wanted to have a way to work together. We've always had kind of parallel careers, but they've never crossed over. And we've always lived in South London, always been really passionate about like shopping local, like being out in our local community. I would always go to the library up in Crystal Palace where I live. And I saw that they had the room upstairs to rent. And I was like, wow, that's really amazing. This is an opportunity to do something cool in our local area. And me and Libby just sat down one day and said, oh, I wonder what event we could put on that would be really cool for the local community. And we we honestly just randomly landed on doing a market. And then honestly, the rest is history. That was like a year ago. And now it's both of our full-time jobs. Wow. So it's happened fast. And and. For those that just explain a bit, oh Andy, hey, here he is. Oh, you got you had to take a call, did you, Andy? <laughs> take a call. So that's always. your technical guys. I am so bad with technology; it's unreal. Just pretend, mate. Just pretend you were closing a big deal. That's what we want to. Yeah, hear. yeah, yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> Done. Excellent. God, Ed, how do you work with this guy? Unbelievable. Mm, right. Sorry. No, no. Yeah. We'll come to that answer in a minute. <laughs> okay. Sorry. So Daisy, I wanted to ask for those that. Uh, we've got a global audience here. So a maker's market, tell us in a bit more detail about what exactly that is and then how you got the first one open. Yeah, so um, a maker's market essentially is, if you imagine any other market you've been to, so whether it's inside or outside, it's a space with stalls where small business owners will come and sell their products. So, you know, it can kind of, there's there's loads in London, I guess, but they're all around the world. But makers particularly is for like handmade products. So whether it's ceramics or candles or, you know, beautiful cushions, anything handmade really. Um, Yeah, so that's what a maker's market is. And yeah, honestly, it's just been the wildest ride. The last year has just been absolutely crazy. And just, I just want to dwell a little bit more on the beginning. So you, you and your sister said, okay, we've got an opportunity here. What, how did you gather the first products? How did you figure out the pricing? How did you have the confidence to say, let's go out and give this a go? So I think really luckily we both used to work in fashion. So we've always worked in fashion retail and my sister was a visual merchandising manager and I was an editor. Um, So we've both kind of developed accidentally the skills along our kind of 10 year career paths to run a maker's market. It just we never really realised that I guess that was what we were always setting ourselves up for. Like now that we've done it, it feels like that was always what we were meant to do. So with my background in copywriting and like editing and I worked for ASOS Marketplace, which in itself is a marketplace for small businesses. Mm. So I'd I'd made loads of contacts there. I knew how small businesses operated. I'd made loads of friends and connections with people who run small businesses. Then in my local community, we'd both made loads of friends and connections again with other people who run cool small businesses. So it kind of really organically just came together. Um, But yeah, we just had the idea and we honestly are just the type of people that we will just make something happen. Like we're not excuses people. We're not like, oh no, I can't do it. We're just, I'm going to fucking do it people. And so once we had the idea, we were like, this is a great idea. I've never wanted to do anything more in my life. And it's kind of like that thing where you don't almost take the, a second to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Or do I want to do this? Or what do I think? Because you're just so excited. You just run ahead with it. And honestly, within like a week, we'd booked the room. We'd put down this deposit on a room. We just we just were like, let's just put the deposit down on a room. We've got the date. It was like a Christmas market. It was December 2019. We're going to have 25 stalls. Okay, we need to start booking stalls. We literally just made up how much it was going to be. We just sent out loads of emails. We had loads of flyers printed. We honestly just didn't rest until we did it. And I guess in a way, there wasn't a lot of strategy to to it, to be completely honest. It was more just a case of 
we really want to do it and we know if we put our heart and soul and energy into it we know that we can make it a success and I kind of think sometimes if you go into something naively you actually do it you kind of just do it because you just do it if you know too much I feel like you would just stop yourself and you would never get anything done if I'd asked myself too many questions like is this really a good idea like we were both working full-time we're trying to Hmm. run a market on the side like I would never have done it so I think we just kind of went into it blindly and enthusiastically (laughs) that is like our thing we're just super enthusiastic and passionate and we just thought we're just gonna bloody do it and then we just did (laughs) fantastic there we go that's that's how that's how these things begin now we'll come on in a minute once we've shared these stories into like how we got out of the 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 jobs and went full-time and the decision making around that but ed and andy i don't know how this performance works between the two of you in terms of telling the story but over to you (laughs) Uh, it's a back and forth. Uh, yeah. We'll probably steal each other's limelight during. Um, so me and Andy, we met in the West End. So we were performers in a West End musical, Beautiful, the Carol King musical, back in 2015. Um, and that that was kind of the, the end of my career. I decided after that show that I didn't really want to do it anymore. And so it was a lot of figuring out what it was that I wanted to do. But I did have a problem that... Um, I was very smelly. <laughs> I make deodorant, by the way, audience. This is, that's the business. Um, so like Daisy said, it was kind of born out of naivety. I had this, this problem. I hated throwing away my shirts every week. You know, when you get that horrible, claggy, yellow stain in the underarms uh, and like nothing was working for me. So I decided, well, I'm going to try and figure it out. And it was just complete naivety. So I I went online, I kind of started playing around with ingredients and um, it took about three, well, yeah, it was three years of formulating. And I could have done it a lot faster if I knew, you know, the route to to market for cosmetics. But it was me every, every week or two trying out a different formulation. You know, one would give me a rash and I'd be like, well, that's not the one, but I didn't smell. So there's some ingredient in there that's working. Um, and so it was, it was just trial and error for so long. And how um, did so, how did your love life go during this period? Oh, oh. So you read the story. <laughs> I, I just feel like it's a question that needs to be asked. Okay, so me and Andy were together. We had a showmance uh, when we were in Beautiful. A showmance? Hold on, slow down a second. When, showmance. Uh, yeah, which show was it? Did this showmance Wait. begin? Beautiful, the Carol King musical. Oh, Carol King. Yeah, Yeah, we were there. We were together for about five years. We used Um, to duet together. Yeah. (laughs) We played the Writers Brothers, so we'd come out from behind a screen. Little did the audience know we were not brothers. (laughs) (laughs) Lovers, not brothers. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Um, And... Okay, so this is great because our American audience, they like, they, this is Carol King, this is Broadway, but, you know, you West go. End, smelly Same boys show. from the West End who were secretly in love <laughs> behind the scenes. Um, and did you, were, Andy, were you sort of saying to Ed, you know, you keep, you stink? What was the no, conversation? Well, Ed, Ed was purely making a product for himself. It wasn't with the with the plan of making it for everybody else. That wasn't ah. even, it wasn't the, the plan, was it? You, you gave samples to people who were interested or you were trialing out new formulas on cast members and family members. And then people would turn around and go, what is this magic? I need it in my life. So we started turning it into, when it, we'd sell pots for 10 pounds to friends here and there, and we'd make a good, a good wadge of cash in between shows. And we were kind of like, oh, great. Okay, well, maybe we could sell this on Etsy and turn it into a, a small business to literally make a tiny bit of cash flow, not to the scale that it has become now. So it was purely born out of Ed just needing something for himself. 
I jumped on board by, like Ed said a moment ago, Beautiful was the last show he wanted to do. So there was, I, was watching, I was watching Ed sort of struggle on what do I want to do with my life next? And I said, you have got this incredible product. Why don't we make it into something together? I, I love business. You've got a product. Let's join forces and just try it. And then we started linking into our community of theatre performers and testing it on all of them. And it just went crazy, beginning with a, a Kickstarter campaign. Fantastic. Yeah. So, so you you were the the trigger to really tip it from uh, a problem solving hobby into a potential business, Andy. And did at that moment for the two of you, did the fact that you were, uh, you know, this was working by day together at night, did that was that did that cross your mind as a potential issue down the road going into business with with your partner? I mean, we we have three, <laughs> we have three things that we ask each other: Are okay. you hungry? Are you tired? Are you hot? If it's one of those three aggressors, you go away, sort yourself out and come back and we're fine. Literally, that's the easiest way. And there's never, there's never any arguments. It was, you know, it's, it's worked out nicely, to be honest. When you, when you pivot, pivot into relationship therapy services, we'll, we'll, know, <laughs> we'll know what, the, what we're buying. Up I'll write a book on it. Exactly. <laughs> good advice there. So that's a wonderful intro from, the, from all of you. Um, I wonder if we can, coming back to you, Steph, whether we can dive into that sort of the transition part. So uh, you're baking late at night, you're working in fashion, climbing the ladder all day long. Where the, when did that come to a head? What what pushed you to, to go in? And did you hand in your notice? What happened? Honestly, I made myself really sick. I, right. <laughs> I broke the candle at both ends. I had infections going through all my body. You know, I literally, it, it boiled on an ultimatum. Um, I remember my dad saying to me, like, you have to either quit the baking or quit your day job. And it was only at that moment I was like, well, there's no way I'm quitting bit by step. This is what I want to make happen. So now I need to absolutely focus all of my time and attention on how I make that happen. Um, and really, I was just kind of thrown in at the deep end. I, I, I was very lucky that my boss at the time was very understanding. My last job that I was in, um, they really asked me what I needed to be able to kind of build my career on the side. So they gave me an indefinite notice period and... Um, kind of let me leave a little bit earlier when I needed to. Um, but yeah, it was it was not really an active decision. I think I was really plagued at the beginning by lack of confidence and knowing how to navigate starting a business. There's no, you know, you can buy like starting a business for dummies on Amazon, but there's no one really that can say, this is what you need to do and it will give you success. And of course we all know that doesn't exist. You, you can't find that from anyone. Um, but, uh, you know, I definitely did it the wrong way, I would say. I, um, I let myself get very, very ill and I was made to, I was forced to make a decision. Um, and that's how I started it. And, it. and it looks and sounds like you, you're fully recovered in terms of your, in terms of your health and well-being. Is that right? You're in a good place now? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, okay, I mean, great. yeah, it was, it was a temporary thing. I think, you know, I was forced to make a decision. I made the right one. Thankfully, I'm not sitting here two years later like, and I wish I never made that decision. No, but it, you went through real low there. And what would you say to your former self and to others who are potentially, you know, working all hours to try and get something up and running? So, so, so anticipate that because it's not worth it, is it? I mean, I know you've come, the, the, the outcome of this story is really positive, but if you could avoid that, that would be fantastic, right? Absolutely. And I think what really was driving that was this 
quest to find the perfect time to jump and and make mm. that transition. And I think what I was really focusing on and wrongly not in hindsight was creating the, perf- the perfect product. And I don't just mean end product, but I mean the perfect you know web page and the perfect tone of voice for my customers and mm. perfect everything. And the one thing I learn every single day is that a business is really fluid. It's an iterative process. The product that I'm selling right now is not what I was even trying to create that made me sick. You know, the the product I had in my head at that time is nothing like what I'm doing now. And the truth is you don't, you don't know until you have a live audience and customer base to kind of feed back with. Um, so there's no there's no perfect time in terms of where your product's at, and I wish I had known that and taken the leap a little bit sooner. Yeah, yeah. I, I always like you've reminded me of that question. I try and I've always tried to ask, but ask it honestly, which is, do my customers care? Like the, the, what I'm doing right now, do they care? Yeah. And of course, sometimes they don't care that you're doing the accounts or whatever it is, but that still has to be done. But it's the majority of the work I'm doing, do, do they care? Does it really change things for them? Does it make the product better? Does it make their experience of the brand like? And, and often the answer is no or I'm not sure. And usually that means you shouldn't do it. It's the 80-20 thing, isn't it? But that's it's really hard to do it in that when you're when you're and this is this is what i get i'm guessing was what partly what happened steph is that you were doing this solo right there was no did you have anyone guiding you anyone giving you support before your dad intervened um yes and no so you highlighted something really important actually i think doing this solo because i'm conscious that you guys all have a business partner and i'm sure there's pros and cons (laughs) well not all the cons Um, (laughs) but the one thing uh that's really i find very difficult in this entire process is just the loneliness of decision-making because yeah, there's, there's a pro to that, but ultimately whatever decision you make is on your shoulders and the weight of that. And that's really what held me back at the beginning. Cause no matter where I got outside advice and I did seek outside advice. Um, and I think that's very important. I am, um, my dad runs a business completely different to mine, but I would have been a fool not to pick his brain. However, which way I could, and he has been uh, a constant, you know, companion in those toughest moments just having someone on the other end of a call unfortunately in this world at the minute it is the (laughs) call not real Mm, mm. um that i can't put a price on that and i also have an ex an ex boss um who mentors me in a very loose capacity i wouldn't say she's an official mentor but she's also someone i can call when i need to and that but in both those relationships you have a a strong grounding of trust and there's a strong emotional relationship there which means that you can go straight to the heart of the matter right which is often when you're you know building mentoring relationships takes time they're they're really valuable when you find the right person but that's what's important um thank you for sharing that steph I'm, i'm guessing daisy for you and your sister this was you had each other, right? So when one is down, the other one is up and vice versa. Is that how it works? Or, or do you go hard together and then both collapse? No, absolutely. I am so lucky in my life to have a twin sister. It's like the best thing that ever happened to me. And it was the first thing that ever happened to me. And I'm just so glad that we found a way to work together because it's so funny. Like her strengths are my weaknesses and my strengths are her we- her weaknesses. We just fit together perfectly like we create one full person <laughs> so I'm um, every day that we have to make decisions like I completely empathize with you Steph because I don't think I could do it on my own like honestly being completely honest I don't think I could run a business on my own having lived by my side the whole time it just makes everything not only more it's not easier I suppose because you still have to like communicate and you have to agree on things together but just having her there 
it just makes me feel like safe, I guess. And I know that we can do anything if we put our two minds together. Like I have absolutely like no doubt that we could do anything we both worked on together because we just work so perfectly together, if that makes sense. So yeah, I'm so lucky that we get to do it together. It's like, how do you find the ideal co-founder? Like, have a twin. That's yeah. it. If you <laughs> haven't got one of those, bad luck. Yeah. <laughs> or a good boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Twins, boyfriends, whatever. Yes. They, they, more unusual um, co-founder relationships, but um, you've made it work. And, and um, Daisy, tell us a little bit about your, so you, you're both, you told us you're both working full time. You've got the market up and running. Mm-hmm. When did you decide to make the transition? How did you do it? So um, it actually took me a really long time to make the transition. So really quickly, Liv was running the market full time, but I was still doing my full time job. So she was on it full time and I was working full time and then doing the market like at lunchtime, after work, weekends, any any spare moment that I had, honestly, just like trying to find any time in the day and the weekend, whatever, to get stuff done. And it really took me nine months of working full time and running the markets every two weeks. Like it was honestly manic. It was such a crazy nine months. And then I had a three month notice period. So once I finally decided to leave my job, I still had to work three months notice. So it basically was a full year that I was doing both at the same time. And just like you said, Steph, like to be honest, I just really ran myself into the ground. It was really difficult. But I think I knew that the end goal was that we were always going to be able to run it together full time. And I just had that vision at the end of the tunnel. So even though it was really hard and stressful, I just was so focused on making that happen and achieving it. But it was really weird because even though I knew that that's what I wanted to do, I kind of thought my day job was like my dream job. And I found it really hard to let go of the fact that it actually made me really unhappy doing that job because I'd always wanted to be an editor. I'd always wanted to work Mm. in fashion. Like, even though I loved the market so much, I still almost, it took me such a long time to want to give away that other part of myself. And like, I don't know, it was weird, but as soon as I did it, I was like, I can't believe that I've spent the last nine months umming and ahhing over this. I should have done this night. I should, for the day that we ran this market, I should have given my notice in then, like, because that was my true passion. But it just took a while for like my mind to catch up, I guess. But once I handed in my notice, it was like the best day ever. And then to be honest, my last day in the office was just the best day ever. You're like, bye, I'm out of here. Bye. (laughs) What you've just described, Daisy, is it it, it is, I mean, you, you sort of, the little oh why didn't i leave earlier but i think this is what you've just described and you know, what you've all been through is this identity shift and um and that's huge it's huge and so it takes huge. it takes a big part of ourselves to make it um and the e we're battling egos and we're battling self imposter syndrome well ego if you're a man imposter syndrome if you're a woman no no it's not that <laughs> clear cut no, I Just totally found like it was part, it was to do with my ego a hundred percent. Like if I was being honest with myself, like I was asking myself, what does it mean if I don't have this job anymore? Like, you know, is anyone going to take me seriously running my own business? I think that was a lot to do with being a young woman as well. And, you know, I'm t- turning 30 this year. I was like, what if I don't have a really successful career? Like you were saying, Steph, I was, you know, I just had a promotion as well. It's funny how your story, I feel like really mirrors my story too. Yeah. I just had this promotion at work that I'd been working my arse off for like years to get. And then I think I just realized even though I finally got the promotion, it still didn't make me happy and it made me so unhappy. But it just took me a while to adjust to that being the truth, I suppose. But honestly, like now doing the market every day and doing it full time is just every day I'm just like buzzing for life. And I didn't feel like this at my full-time job before. Like that's how I know that this is the right thing. Even when it's hard, I still just wake up every day and it's not a question. I'm just like, what are we doing today? What are we making happen? Like, I can't wait. What about this idea? Like I can't switch my brain off because I'm obsessed with it. I just love it so much. Oh, long may that last, Daisy. It's brilliant to to feel that energy from you. Um, And so, Ed, when you made that decision about 
leaving the theatre, exiting mm. the stage, uh, and and you were experimenting with the with all these uh, with this product. At what point did you go? I'm all in on this, or was it just the fact that you were you doing other jobs in between? Had you saved up funds? What, what was your transition Ooh, like? An actor save up funds? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> no, I was broke, so. Yeah, obviously that was my last show, and I kind of toyed around with other like performing jobs for the for the next year. I did some singing on a cruise ship, and I did some other bits and bobs. I just remembered that I'm under an NDA, so I can't tell you what that is. <laughs> bits, bits and bobs, yeah, other bits and bobs. Um, but yeah, it was a really like it wasn't an easy time at all because I think there is that ego side especially for a performer, you spend your whole life gearing yourself up to be on the stage. And then for me, like I, I, I always wanted to be in the West End, be in a show. And I did that on my second job uh, when I was 22. And then it was kind of like reality hits. And like, oh my God, like I've done it now. And is this really what it's going to be like forever? And so it was a real sort of like identity crisis for me. And so after leaving the show I, I completely had no idea what I wanted to do I didn't think I had any skills whatsoever because I'd been singing and dancing so I tried to apply for normal muggle jobs as we call them in the theatre <laughs> um, and I didn't get anywhere because I'd never written a CV before and I had to like completely change my CV to like normal working jobs you're not going to apply to be a buyer for an interior place and put you know I was ensemble in top hat it's just not going to work. And so I didn't have many normal jobs. So I, I was a delivery driver for a bit, cycling around London. I used to let people into their Airbnbs. Um, and then I was a nanny um, and I was teaching. So like, it really wasn't fulfilling work. But then I had acts to fall back on. I knew that something was burning in the background, making these deodorant formulations and trialing it out and trying to figure out what the business was. But it wasn't a fun time. <laughs> Do you think because it wasn't fun and because you were scrambling those jobs? And I always think when I when I meet someone at Deliveroo, I'm like, are they the next big, you know, are they are they the next big actor or artist? Like, you know, because you know that that whole community is full of talented artists and makers and creators and you think oh who have i just met um but do you when you were scrambling those jobs um and, and act you were you were you were doing your mixing your act um uh potions did you do you think that pressure would helped you push faster or do you think actually it was like the stress was you would rather have done it in your own time um i think yeah, there was the pressure there. I knew that it had to be a success and I had to make it a success because I didn't really have any other option. I really didn't want to be delivering pizzas for the rest of my life. Mm. And I really didn't want to go back into performing because it made me miserable. So this was kind of the only path that I had to take in a way. It was like, that's it. It's this or nothing. And I think that's kind of what has made it successful because I've put everything into it for hell the leather um, and it's paid off. And, and presumably you, you were prioritizing things like pricing and how can we get to revenue quicker and things like that because the, because there was some financial pressure. Did that, is that what happened? Um, no, I wish I okay. was that smart. <laughs> it was just really like we, I always say if you, if you lean in any direction, you'll go somewhere. If you stand still, you stay still, right? 
And so that's what it has been for me and Andy. We've just had to learn all these different skills mm-hmm. and every day is a, yeah, it's a new challenge. And that's kind of the excitement about it. Like I'm never doing the same thing every day. And that's what it was like in, in theater. You'd be doing the same show, eight shows a week. You go and stand on this mark, you look into that light and it just gets really repetitive. But this, this is what I love about it. And, but yeah, I guess there was the pressure that we did need to make money eventually to pay ourselves. Yeah, I love the fact that actually making a, a natural deodorant is more of a, an original action than, than performing in the West End every night. There's some, there's some sort of wisdom to glean from that. I haven't got it at my fingertips yet. You'll write it in your, in your entrepreneurial world's biography. Andy, um, did you quickly follow Ed? Were you still fully employed? What was your transition? Uh, so I hadn't stopped performing. Uh, I was still very much going between contracts, but obviously there's the dead time between when you still do the, the delivery jobs. You do the small things to try and make money, which is why act became something to fill that time. Uh, we wanted to, to have an income there. But yes, I was still very much performing. I was up until the last minute before uh, the pandemic hit. I was on day two of rehearsals of West Side Story. And that's when everything shut down. To a, week, a year ago to this week, Ed and I yeah. shut down and we both said to each other, shall we do this full time? Shall we make this you know, should we cover our rent and sit down nine to five and do it? Because there's no other time like now. Um, and if I'm honest, I, if, if the pandemic hadn't have happened, I don't think we'd have got to where we are with the business because we, we were forced into that decision. But time was poor. I was, I was rehearsing and doing business stuff with Ed. We were trying to figure out how the hell to make and run a business. We had no idea. We're meeting people along the way that gave us gems of advice. Um, we quickly grew an advisory board of some, some people that are now still with us. And I think without that, we wouldn't have anything, basically. So, Where did you find these people, these advisors? Through, in, uh, we, we were talking to friends and family about putting small chunks of money in to help us invest, uh, to invest in the, in the business to start growing. And then they they go, oh, I know this person that's done done PR before. Go and have a chat with them. Then they put it into it for someone else. And it's just a constant stream of picking other people's brains for it. Oh, have you ever worked with anyone that works in subscriptions or mm. website building or has customer service experience? And it's just one thing that we take for granted as actors is our ability to talk to anybody. So if if we meet someone, we'll... I'd probably say more than I ever should just because that's just me. I just talk openly. <laughs> and it kind of it goes in our benefit. Any investor we met along the way that has now become a friend, you know, we've been for dinner and they've invited, they've invited other investors and, or, or other business people that have skills that we don't have yet on our board. And it, it's just skills that we are translating from performing into this business world and uh, it's working out quite nicely really well but it's a lot of work i i'd love to we've got about uh 10 15 more minutes together um i'd love anyone who's got any specific questions for any of our our panel of founders tonight or general questions drop them in now um into the chat now but i'd like to talk about money and um it's obviously a different story for everyone our relationship with money um but obviously that's one of the biggest perceived fears at the point of saying i'm going to go all in especially if you're if you're moving from a uh 
financially secure job. Not everyone is, but if you are. Um, so what, what's your story of your relationship with money? How has it changed as you started running your business? Practically, how soon have you been able to start paying yourself? Have you figured out the financial forecast? Whatever you want to share on, this, on, the, on the story of money. Steph, how's it, how's it working out for you? Yeah. Um, so I, so we've been in business for two years now. And up until a few months ago, I was really just in a position to cover my life expenses. Um, at the end of the day, running your own business, setting up your own business, it's not worth the stress if you're just going to be ultimately getting back what you could have got back working for somebody else. Um, but equally, you have to be realistic. You're not going to earn a million pounds overnight. That doesn't happen. If it does, please tell me how you make that happen. Um, so you need to, for me, it was really about um, confronting my relationship with money in the beginning. I think we all have a responsibility to do that because it's very different when someone's not paying, um, sending you a payslip every month. I actually downsized personally. I actually find a, a cheaper flat when I started my business. That was something I decided to do. Um, and I'm lucky that for the first part of, because I am I was a home baker, my overheads were really low because I was just working from home. As I've scaled up, you know, I at the beginning of the pandemic when I was looking down the barrel of potentially permanent closure, let's be honest, um, I made a really risky decision to scale up and increase our overheads to take on... Um, seven times the square footage of what we had previously in a commercial kitchen. Wow. That's a big uh, jump. Yeah. And that was really scary because of the money, because I literally was, I was committing myself to a really big three-year contract with X amount of square footage and, and no guarantee we were going to open again. Um, but I think if you really, you know, I make it my business every day to look at the numbers and be honest um, and the truth is, I think a lot of it's about mindset as well. If you're asking yourself the right questions and you're and you're prepared and really looking about what worst case scenario could potentially be, mm. um, but equally that you know juxtaposed with the faith that you have in yourself, as I'm sure everyone on this panel has, because that's what drives all of us. You know, we we have a vision and we're completely 100% dedicated to doing whatever it takes to get that to make that reality. Um, then yeah, it's it's a risk worth taking. I would love to see in your sort of early days of expenses how what percentage was flour and sugar and and you know pure baking products. And they're like, this is it. This is how much I'm dedicated. I'm buying all all this stuff to bake with. Um, this is how much I care. Yeah. Is it for you, Daisy? Was it um, was the financial transition fairly straightforward, or or how did you how did it work out for you and your sister? I think we're quite lucky in that because our business isn't a product-based business, our overheads were like really, really minimal. So where we mm. were renting the room locally, that was our biggest expense. And at the time that was like a few hundred pounds. That seemed quite scary at the beginning when we had mm. no idea if anyone was even going to book a, a stall at the market. So that seemed scary, but we've, I guess because, yeah, because it's not product-based because everything's done online, our overheads are super, super minimal. So our profit margin is like, it's probably like 95%. I'm not like, are really good with numbers that's my downside but I think just like you've said Steph I've really had to get comfortable with the numbers like I don't want to be one of those people that's like oh I'm just not good with numbers I'm not good with maths like mm. I'm a business owner I have to make it my business I have to sit down and make sure that it's all working out We've, we can take a salary from it every month we're both doing it as our full-time jobs I have a mortgage to pay Liv has a mortgage to pay you know I can't not be involved with the numbers but I think I don't know it's hard to say because 
I just honestly feel like I just didn't think about everything too much. And that's awful to say, really. I'm sure we probably should have been much more strategic about it. But I guess I was lucky in that I'd been working for the whole year. It had been locked down. So my expenses had been kind of minimal for the whole year. So I was personally in an okay financial position. Liv was already working on the market full time. So we knew that the market could support her salary. So from there, it didn't seem like too much of a jump to make it support my salary too. We just worked backwards from, okay, how much salary do we need to take every month to cover like our mortgage, our bills and like whatever expenses. Okay. And therefore, how many events do we need to do a month? How much do we need to charge for each spot? You know, scaling up in that sense. But I think now we're kind of at a pivot point, I guess, where the next steps are going to be probably the scarier ones because we're taking bigger risks and doing bigger events. We're going to be doing real life events. So Mm. the kind of the risk, I guess, is increasing this year with money, particularly because we're having to invest more. We're not resting on our laurels. So we're doing new events, which, you know, we don't know how they're going to go. I've, you know, hopefully it's all going to be a massive success and I'm sure that it will be. But at the moment, I know, you know, I'm going to make X amount every week or month or whatever. But because we're trying new things, that's obviously a bit scary. But I honestly just feel like I know that we'll make it work. But yeah, I think this year is going to be like the kind of the next bigger step. And like when you had to sign that bigger lease, I feel like this year is going to be that time for us where we're having to make those kind of scarier decisions in terms of money things. <laughs> so while you were listening to both your stories about money now, it just makes me think that it's... It, you know, when you're so all in on it, it's actually quite hard to spend a lot of money, like personally. It's a bit like, I guess, our experience of the last year of life. It's like we've been very limited, unless we had a bad online gambling habit, um, to, to spend a lot of money. And a lot of us have had to cut back anyway. But the, I think there's a really interesting parallel between when people make the transition. It's like I remember the first year of my first business. I was so focused, like you just explained, Daisy. I was so all in on it. And I was just like, well, and I'm, and the numbers were really important. And I was just like, I haven't got time to spend money on other stuff. And so that, that sometimes goes with it. it. The commitment means you, the less time you have to go out and play, which we can't do now anyway, the less money you do spend anyway, usually. And um, you know what it is as well? Like having my own business, it made me realize how closed my mindset was in terms of money before, like thinking about my salary, you know, all the extra hard work I'd have to do to try and get you know, a 500 pound bonus at the end of the year. Whereas now I have my own business. I'm like, the sky's the limit. I'm the only person that's limiting how much money I can make. If I want to put the work in, if I want to work hard enough and make it work, I can earn whatever I want to earn. Whereas before, I, I feel like my, my whole m- mindset around money is completely different. That's great. That's fantastic to hear, Daisy. So Ed and Andy, what's, uh, how did you figure out the money thing within um, with for Act? Because obviously a product-based business like that You've got to break down. I mean, it took three years, right, to, to figure out the ingredients of this. You've got to break down every every part of it um, and, and work it all out. Was that a real challenge, the finances, and then figuring out how you're going to make a profit from it and so on? We were quite yeah. late at the beginning, weren't we? With, mm. so we ran a Kickstarter campaign, which was mm. our initial target was £15,000, which an, an initial mentor said to us, that, that's all you need to, to kickstart yourselves. And we're like, great, fifteen grand. with Let's, let's run a campaign. We spent three months working on this campaign day by day, sampling it to every single West End performer, making sure they posted about it on social so it went crazy. And then we smashed that target within one day. So mm. 30 days left, and we did 50 grand by the end. And we were like, oh, my God, that's so much money. Amazing. Now we look at that and we're like, that is not enough money for what we need to be doing. Obviously, for us, the big expenses are buying in stock. We have to have yeah. inventory. And, and that kind of... 
that's been the newest thing of late with forecasting and, and financial modeling stuff that we as as I like to call us businessmen now, but when you know we weren't businessmen, we've had to learn all of that as we're going. So and Ed yeah. is this man now. <laughs> well yeah, I'd never like I'd never looked at a spreadsheet before. I didn't know how to use a spreadsheet, but two years ago like, was the first time I had to like, we started building our financial model. And for me, it was really important. I wanted to see like the numbers. I wanted to know that we were going to have enough cash in the bank and know what the revenue was going to be and what target we were going to hit in year one, year two and year three. So I made it my like duty to understand this financial model. And now I'm a fucking whiz with a spreadsheet. <laughs> and we're, we're currently at a stage now where we're, we're about to do a one million pound fundraise. And if you'd asked me that like two years ago or even a year ago, I'd be like a million pounds. That's crazy. You know, I was taking in like 1,000 pounds a month in salary doing rubbish jobs. And so, but now I'm like, yeah, of course, like that's what we need because I've got this 50,000 pound inventory bill from one supplier and I've got a 70,000 pound inventory bill from another supplier. And, and so it, we, we've kind of learnt as we've been growing, as the business grows, we're like, like my, my mindset's completely shift with money. I used to be so stingy with cash personally. And actually, it's probably been good for the business as well, because you don't want to just spend money willy nilly. You want to do as much as you can to save the cash. Um, but now I'm starting to realize that if we want to scale, we've got to, we've got to spend the money. We've got to get the people with the expertise in to be able to do it because we just don't have the time anymore. Yeah. But you validated it. You built a, built a first version of the brand and you're up and running. I love listening to the, the last few minutes around like that. It's, there's so much that we can learn about like the practical side of it, but for all of you, it was the mindset It's the shift in mindset. And and the reason that shifted from listening to you is because you you committed you're committed to to go for it and then everything else kind of you lent you lead in one direction as you said Ed and and everything else the momentum has to, you have to go you have to go for it um, I just wanted to share briefly with everyone who's listening Virgin startup when you're applying for a Virgin startup loan one of the core things you have to do is um, I don't remember you guys remember this you have to fill out something called a cash flow forecast and it's one of those, those few forecasts that is is almost less emphasis on like how much you project you're going to make because that's easy right we can all say i'm going to sell 200 of these and 5,000 of those and it's to be honest you're making it up right it's very hard to prove it until you until you get out and start doing it but the the great thing about the forecast is it asks you about your personal expenses and it puts your personal expenses and your forecasted cash flow for the business on the same spreadsheet and you're like, why am I doing this? That's my life over there and that's my business over there. And it's like, no, it's not. Not at the start anyway. Not until you've got a structured salary, which as we all know takes time um, to build up to. So this is a really useful exercise for anyone listening tonight. Get hold of this um, Virgin Startup cash flow forecast because it is a great way of like putting your own cost of living in there, putting in like what you think it's going to take to get to the next stage of business growth. And then you'll see where the gap is or you'll see how much you'll be able to draw if you hit to this sales target. Oh, I can take out 500 quid a month or that will cover my rent. And then like, it's it's rather than saying, I wanna be on a 40,000 pound salary within 12 months, it's a, which is a distant dream for most startup founders. So um, I really recommend doing that. Even if you hate spreadsheets like Ed, you can become a, a wizard. <laughs> Just like, there we go. 
Um, you've got a face for spreadsheets, Ed. And uh, <laughs> we are going to have to wrap up in a couple of minutes. So I want to finish. It's gone so fast, and, and there's, it's been so wonderful listening to you all. Um, but I want to wrap up with uh, two things from each of you. One is, what's next for your business? So re- retell everyone what it is you're doing. So remind them exactly what your products and services, how they can connect with you, and so on. Um, and what's, what are you looking forward to next that you're, you're kind of your next challenge as a person and as a business? Steph. Um, so great question. Uh, so just to remind everyone, I have a, like my staff is an e-commerce driven bakery. We have a production bakery in East London. Um, and we've just gone through a rapid kind of scale up period. We've gone from three employees in August to now a team of 15. Um, so wow. really crazy and rapid and I'm yeah, a, bit, a bit stressed. Um, but this is going to allow us that next stage of growth. We're going to hopefully be opening up to international shipping, which is my big baby project at the minute. I'm so excited. Mm. Obviously, Brexit and coronavirus do not help, but that is my main focus at the minute. I think that's just going to elevate us and take us to that next that next stage which I'm so excited for. You don't look stressed on your most recent Instagram picture. I'm assuming that's you. That was taken in July. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, there's nothing like real life versus Instagram, is there? But, uh, don't believe everything you see on Instagram. Yeah. I tell you, well, it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. This is like the Walt Disney of macro runes i'm seeing here amazing instagram um nailing that tool um and what about you daisy so the next steps i guess basically our ultimate aim with the market so our ultimate kind of higher purpose i guess of a south london makers market is we just want to be the change that we want to see in the world and we want to change the face of retail forever by allowing more people to connect with more small businesses in like an easier way than ever before like so many people want to shop small they want to support small businesses but it's really hard sometimes to find them to surface them to find the products that you're looking for to find people locally to you that you want to like buy into and the, the kind of aesthetic i guess that you like so Ultimately, we just want to keep working towards that aim. But the next things that we're doing this year, like they're things that are so big. I didn't even put them on my manifestation board for like the next three years because I never. Your your what board? Your manifestation board? Manifestation board, board, honey. She's got a manifestation board there. We we all need one of those. It works. If you look at what you want to achieve, like you will achieve it. I swear it does work. (laughs) Obviously, a lot of hard work involved as well. Um, So I can't say too much because it's all like top secret at the moment. But we're working on a couple of massive projects for the summer which are really really exciting like honestly things that i didn't think we'd achieve for years if ever um but basically all to kind of bring our community back into the real world because obviously we started as a real life event we were taken online now hopefully we can get back to real life events again so to bring our community to the real world again um and to just make like yeah to just to change retail and to make shopping small even easier and more exciting i guess like to fall back in love with shopping and discovering cool brands and businesses but i'm honestly so buzzing for the next year i just think it's going to be amazing it's going to be one long come down if it ever happens daisy in your house <laughs> so it feels like the high is is, is constantly you there that's the thing me and Liv, we're just so high all the time but then sometimes i'm like absolutely exhausted but then that's sure when it's are. really really high and then she pets me back up and then she's low and i'm like no Livy, we can do this like motivation motivational talk but yeah. i learned something really important about this and we've touched a bit on mental health tonight and we haven't got time to dive into it unfortunately more now but this difference between we've all had it this year um, between exhaustion, physical exhaustion and, and depletion. And so exhaustion is like when you rest, you, you feel better afterwards. But it, some of us might have felt, especially trying to get businesses out into the world in the last year, that we've rested and we still haven't felt like we're back in the game. 
And depletion is this thing where the things that really matter to you, whether it's connecting usually with other people, whether it's singing and dancing, whether it's creating uh, amazing products or food or whatever it is, uh, or whether it's something more spiritual, is that, is that fix that we need that a lot of us haven't had access to in the last year. So it's good to check in with ourselves, like what what maybe we're depleted of and, and, and can we get some of that back in our lives? And it sounds to me, listening to you tonight, that you've all unlike so many people being able to access the things that really give you the, the kind of the, the, the juice of life, like the energy that we all need to, to thrive and feel really alive. So um, you're great examples to us all. Um, and final, final word to, to Ed and Andy, what's uh, remind everyone what your product and brand is all about mm. and what's coming next and how, how people, who we should, who should we be buying it for? Here we go. <laughs> uh, so we're act London act with a K um, and we make uh, premium natural deodorant in 100% plastic-free packaging. We are the only company in the world that has uh, these aluminium caps, which we've developed spoke. Um, so we've been doing very well in the UK market. And next steps, we're about to do this uh, £1 million fundraise, which is very stressful, but very good to understand the business more and, and where we want to head. Uh, we've just launched a sister company in Germany. So we're about to launch in Germany in the summer. Uh, wir haben eine Tochtergesellschaft for meine Deutschlanders oh und Deutschlanderin. Andy's like, there goes our marketing campaign. <laughs> Uh, I moved to Germany. It was kind of an ideal moment to open in Germany, which obviously because of Brexit, we had to start an entire new supply chain to reach the rest of the EU. So that's the next steps there. We've also made the decision to turn, uh, to pivot towards subscriptions now. So it's going to be a subscription-led brand because it's such a big thing now um, in the UK. Mm. And we've got an exclusive code for everyone listening. So if you want 20% off your first order, the code is ACT LIKE A VIRGIN. I, I tell you, Sir Richard would be proud I'm of your add it in terrible puns. You can see it. Act, act like a virgin. Act with a K. And you get 20% off your first order. So sign up and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you. Awesome. <laughs> hey. I'm going to be, my wife's going to be very grateful. Um, Ed, Andy, Daisy and Stephanie, thank you so much. There are five, we start with 520 people. We're down to 487. Oh, that is bad. a <laughs> tiny drop off. If you were talking about conversion rates over an hour's conversation, I would be, we'd be, we would take that. Bear in mind, no one else could get in the room. So, um, so that's, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing everything. Um, we will be following up and sharing your stories and links online with everyone who came and those that didn't make it. Um, I'm going to wave goodbye to you now and then let everyone else know. So you can jump off stage. Have a good evening and good Thank luck you, with all your adventures. You. Lovely to see you. 500 people are cheering for you. You've been listening to a Virgin Startup podcast. Virgin Startup are a not-for-profit organization set up to help founders start up and thrive. Don't be shy. Let us know what you thought by leaving a review whenever you listen to your podcast. And to find more about how we can help you start and scale your business, head over to virginstartup.org. Thanks to our friends at Virgin Money, we're able to make our meetups free to attend providing thousands of early stage founders with the support they need to start and scale businesses in the UK. Virgin Money are here to disrupt the status quo. They want everyone to have a much happier relationship with money. Through their brilliant colleagues, inspiring spaces and digital solutions, they are doing everything they can to offer a life more virgin. 
They provide a full range of banking products and services to help founders at every stage of their business journey. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and you'll join us next time for more founder stories.